Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and open with me this morning to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. This morning, we're going to pick up in verse 11 and make our way through just verses 11 through 12 this morning as we talk about living in light of our homecoming. Living in light of our homecoming. As we gather together this morning as a church, we are celebrating our homecoming this morning. And so we're going to live in light of our homecoming, knowing that this is not our home. This is not what we really celebrate as a homecoming. Coming, What we are looking forward to one day is the homecoming that we will have when we gather together as one giant family under the Lordship of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And so that's what we're going to celebrate and look to this morning. I was talking with some of the ladies yesterday that had decorated the fellowship hall and got ready and they were asking me, so who, who's speaking tomorrow? Who's preaching tomorrow? And I said, well, well I'm, I'm preaching. And I heard all of them do it one time. They all went, Oh, so yeah, thanks a lot. Oh, that's right. You're stuck with me this morning, but it is good to be here. And I'm excited about this text. This text is a, a really important text for, for me. And it's an important text for our family, uh, for, for just an instant in our life where we were kind of trying to figure out what the Lord was doing. And we got a valuable lesson that God is always in control. And that's exactly what this text is going to demonstrate for us and for the readers that Peter is trying to write to. So years and years ago when I was at seminary, one of my friends there that I only got to know for a limited time during the class, we haven't kept in touch for years, but but he asked me to come to his church to do homecoming for them, and they happened to be at Manio. That's one of the reasons our family's kind of fallen in love with Manio. We went down to the beach, we got to hang out, and we got to do homecoming, and uh, as, as we were making the plans to go, the day before we were supposed to go and stay with this pastor and his family, he, he called me and he said, oh, by the way, you're Remember how we were in the process of adopting? I said, yes. He said, we just got the call. We're heading to Ohio. Keys are under the mat. Come enjoy the house. We'll see you whenever we see you again. And so the only person that we knew at this church was this guy that was now leaving to go get his baby in Ohio. Again, we're not, we're not casting stones. By all means, go get your child. That's fantastic. That's amazing. That is awesome. And so Carrie and I are having this conversation on the way down down there, what in the world are we doing in Manio, North Carolina, preaching to a church who does not know us at all, and our only connection is now gone? And so it was this hilarious uh, service where I actually preached this passage to this congregation. We, uh, we were like walking in as visitors. No one knew us. We knew no one. I was looking for a guy that I was supposed to be my contact that was going to give me my microphone. We finally sort of found him and uh, again, set through the service. I was preaching. Uh, it, was, it was, you know, a good service because any service I preach is a good service. Amen. Yeah, that's not what those ladies said yesterday. But anyway, not that I'm holding a grudge or anything. And so the whole time I'm, I'm preaching and, and everything's, you know, going swimmingly, I guess. And so the service ends. We go to their homecoming lunch like we're going to have. And uh, Carrie and I, we, we kind of wait and kind of go at the end. And we, no, they made us go first. So we go first. We, we sit down at a table 
no one sits with us because no one knows us. Finally, this like couple takes pity. They're like, oh, wow, look, the guest pastor, he's here and he's eating by himself. And so we, we, we eat lunch with them. We go back to the pastor's house. And again, we look at, I look at Carrie and I said, what was that? Like, why in the world did the Lord bring us here? And uh, about that time, Noah comes into the room and he says, Daddy, can I talk to you about what you were preaching on today? And I was Sure, you know, what's going on? So Noah here at that age didn't pay attention because every time the person stood up to preach, it was his dad, right? And he's like, I hear dad all the time. Change the context, put him in a different place, a different pew, and he listened to the service for the first time. And that day is the day that Noah gave his life to Christ. And so it was this incredible reminder that God knows what he's doing. Amen? And even when we are clueless, And we don't know why God is allowing things to transpire the way that he is. God's working. God's doing stuff. And we just need to trust in what he's doing. Well, we're going to see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and following, as Peter is writing to a group of believers that are trying to figure out what God is doing. Because as it stands, this group of churches that Peter's writing to have had to flee from Jerusalem due to persecution. They've been scattered all throughout Asia Minor. And they're not exactly sure why following Jesus has led to this mass persecution and this mass dispersion of them as believers. And so... As Peter writes to them, he's writing to them to encourage them. In chapter 1, he's already reminded them of the great salvation they have in Christ. He's already reminded them to be holy as God is holy. He's encouraged them and he's reminded them that, yes, you've given up a lot. It has cost you so much, but you have so much that you've gained in your relationship with Christ. So he's encouraged them and encouraged them all throughout chapter 1 and into chapter 2. And then in verse 11, he reminds them them of something that we have to understand here this morning. And so in the text, we're going to see three realities that we must embrace if we're going to live in light of our future homecoming with Christ one day. So let's read verse 11 through 12. We'll pray and then we'll make our way through the text. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray, and then we'll walk through the text. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty in our lives. We thank you that you are always in control, and we confess that we are never in control. Lord, even in those moments where we feel like we have things figured out, we feel like we've got a grip on life and we are directing things according to the way that we want them to go, Lord, we are often reminded that we have no control over what takes place and what's going on. Lord, you are completely sovereign. Lord, not only are you completely sovereign, but Lord, you are completely good. Lord, you love us and you are good. Therefore, we trust in your sovereignty. We are glad that you are in control and not us. And so, Lord, as we submit to your sovereignty, as we remind ourselves of your goodness, Lord, we also are reminded that this is not our home. Lord, our homecoming still awaits 
And Lord, we look forward to and long for that day. So Lord, as this text gives us these realities that will enable us to live better in light of our homecoming one day, I pray that you would help us to not only understand this text, but Lord, we pray that we would be able to apply it into our day-to-day lives. So Lord, speak through the text this morning. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the text again, we're going to see these three realities that will enable us to live in light of our future homecoming. Number one, we are strangers in this world. Let me say that again. We are strangers in this world. Notice what Paul begins, excuse me, what Peter begins with in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, that phrase is interesting because of who Peter is writing to. Notice he says they're beloved. In other words, you are loved by God. And Peter says you're also loved by me. And so Peter's writing to them because he loves them. He's reminding them as he already has in chapter 1 that they are loved by God but he's also understanding their current situation and context. This group of believers used to live in Jerusalem. And when persecution raised up in Jerusalem, they were forced to go out into the surrounding areas. Now what they had not yet put their minds around, what they hadn't yet seen, was how God had sovereignly orchestrated all of that so that every place that they went, they took the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And so what Peter's doing, which is incredible, Peter's writing to the churches that they planted along the way. It's incredible. Think about it. This group had been chased out of Jerusalem wondering, God, why are you letting this happen? How many times have we asked that? Amen? God, why are you letting this happen? This seems like a bad thing. Why is it happening to me, God? And they're asking that question. They're living as exiles. They're living as strangers in strange places, trying to figure out why God has allowed this to happen. And Peter's writing this letter to all the churches that they planted along the way. Why did God allow it to happen? Because God used it to take the gospel to places that the church was not going to go unless pushed out by God. Whoo! That's a little scary thought, by the way. Amen? Church wasn't going to go, but God sent persecution. God allowed persecution to drive them to places that they were not willing to go. Who, by God's grace, let us be willing to go where God wants us and leads us to go. Amen? And so Peter's writing to this group because they're still struggling. They've left everything. They've, They've left it all behind. And Peter's trying to encourage them, helping them to see God is using the difficulty. You are reaching the nations with the gospel. And what Peter does in verse 11 is he reminds them of this. Even if you were back home at your house, sleeping in your own bed in Jerusalem, you would still not be home. Because this is not your home. He says, you are sojourners and you are exiles. Not because you've been pushed outside of Jerusalem, but because you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the moment you accepted Christ, you became a stranger in this world. Why? Because this is no longer your home. Amen? 
This is a place that we are literally just passing through in order to get to our actual home. And so the church finds themselves struggling in this land that is not their own. And Peter reminds them, that's okay, we're all just passing through. We do not fit in, we do not belong. Well, that brings me to the question then. Well, if we're not citizens of this world, if this is not our home, who are we? And where do we belong, right? Well, notice what Peter says in verses 9 and 10. He tells them exactly who they are and exactly where they belong. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, we are not American. We are not citizens of this country. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Amen? Now, by God's grace, we can agree. We live in a great place God has blessed us with. We're not, we're not, we're not hoping that God will send us someplace else by any means. We're, we're thankful that God has allowed us to grow and to live in a place like this. But we are ultimately citizens of the kingdom of God. And this is not our home. This is not what we're to be passionate about. We're to live for the home that is awaiting our homecoming. Amen? And so Peter says, listen, even if you were back home, this would not be your home. This is not where you belong. A couple weeks ago, I got to spend a week with Jamie. And Jamie, again, for those who know Jamie, says, hello, he misses you. He actually wished he could be here today, but he wasn't able to be here. And I know y'all wished he could be here too, but he wasn't able to be here. And so he sends his love and sends his hello uh, from Jamie, Joey, Noah, and Isaac. But we were there together for a week, and we were actually going to be in two different places. So we, we spent a couple days in one hotel, and then we moved about 30, 40 minutes away to a different area and spent two days in another hotel. And so... The first couple of days when I got there, I, I was actually there before Jamie. He was out in a meeting, so it was just me in the hotel room. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make myself at home. So I unpacked my suitcase. I put clothes in drawers. I hung stuff up in the, in the closet there. And I, I, I put the suitcase in the closet so it wasn't visible. I, I kind of made myself at home in the hotel room. And then literally two days later, I packed it all back up and took off to the next hotel. And so when I got to the second hotel, I realized something. I don't live here. I'm not going to be here longer than two days. Unpacking the suitcase and repacking the suitcase actually made no sense. I had to waste time doing that. I need to come to grips with the fact that I'm just passing through. Well, that's exactly what Peter is telling this group of believers to come to grips with. This is not your home. You're just passing through. And what's awesome is that when we accept that and when we embrace that, it allows us to live for the home that is our forever home. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you may be there, by the way, forever. Amen? 
forever and ever and all of eternity. So what we need to do is we need to keep things in the proper perspective and try not to get so worked up and focused over the things of this world, but instead we need to invest in worry about the world that is to come. So think about it. I wasted probably 20 minutes unpacking, only to waste 20 more minutes packing. How much time do we waste by focusing on things in this world that don't make a difference for the sake of eternity? If we're honest, it's not just too much, but it's almost all of our time. You want to do something that's convicting? Look back over this past week. Look at where you spent your time and ask yourself, was this for this world or the world to come? And listen, you and I will be completely convicted because we spend almost all of our time, energy, and effort on things of this world instead of the world that is to come. Amen? And what Peter is trying to help this congregations to see is that this is not your home. Peter says, live in light of the reality that we are strangers in this world. And then secondly, Peter says, live in light of the reality that we will be attacked in this world. You see, they were caught off guard because of the persecution that had come their way. And what I want us to understand is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to know that this life is not easy. Amen? Following Jesus is not easy. Following Christ is not easy. And that's what this congregation was experiencing. And so the second reality that we must embrace in order to live in light of our future homecoming is that we will be attacked in this world. Notice in verse 11, the first area of attack will actually come from our own desires. Look at what it says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Where does the first attack come from? It comes from you. Amen? It comes from your own fleshly desires. As a matter of fact, James tells us the same thing in James chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and is enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So not only are we being attacked by our own desires, but our own desires are trying to bring us towards death. As Peter says, they're attacking our soul. What does that mean? It means that the battle waging inside of us is a serious battle. It's a battle that when we lose causes us great harm. It attacks our very souls. And so we need to do everything that we can to notice what Peter says, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Abstain, Peter says, run from it. Avoid it at all cost. Run like the wind, if you will. Get away from the passions of your flesh. Do whatever it takes to get away from it. Well, that's great advice, but unfortunately, that's not what we normally do. We normally try to get as close to it as we can without crossing the line instead of what Peter and Paul and others tell us, which is to get as far away from it as you can possibly can, then try to go a little bit further. Amen? And what we need to understand is the seriousness of the attack. 
Although sin looks like it's going to be gratifying and satisfying, although it is appealing to our flesh, which is why it is temptation, we need to understand what is at stake. It is waging war against our souls. Amen? It's a big deal. It's a battle that we need to take seriously. And so we need to run from those desires. Well, what are those desires? Well, in chapter 4, verse 3, Peter will go on to list sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, parties, and idolatry. Paul has his own list in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. He goes on to say, now the works of the flesh are evident. It's sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, drunkenness, envy, orgies, and things like these. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice Peter and Paul agree there is a war going on. And it's going on inside of us. We're the battlefield. The flesh is fighting against the spirit. The spirit is against the flesh. They're waging war on one another. Therefore, Peter says to do all that you can to abstain from the desires of the flesh. The good news is that if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then you've been set free from the power of sin and you can overcome the desires of the flesh. Amen? If you're here this morning and you're a believer, you've trusted Jesus Christ, He has set you free. Amen? So if you find yourself entangled and ensnared, if you find yourself enslaved to sin, it's either because you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ Or it's because you're sitting in the jail cell and you don't realize the door's open. Amen? And listen, as believers, oftentimes that's what's going on. We're we're, we're enslaved, we're entangled, we've fallen back into sin, and we can't figure out a way to get out of it. And the reality is the door's open. We've already been set free. We've been given the power to overcome, to abstain. We just have to take it. Amen? Amen? We've got, to, we've got to turn from sin. We've got to walk away from it. We've got to run from it instead of piddling around with it. But it may be that you've never actually put your faith and trust in Jesus. You see, oftentimes, we also think we're following Christ because we happen to know about Jesus. We happen to believe that Jesus is real and that he really is God's son. We even believe that he died on the cross. And then he rose from the dead. We believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus. But the problem is, James tells us that even the devil and demons believe those things. What oftentimes we fail to do is come before the Lord and submit to him as our Lord and Savior, as our master. That's why we are called bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is our master. And what salvation means is that not only do I believe those things, not only do I turn from my sin and confess it as a sinner, but I commit myself to following Jesus in my life. And so you may be here this morning and find yourself losing the battle that's waging inside. It could be because you're sitting in a jail cell, the door's open to, and you haven't got up and walked out. 
But it could be that you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so if you're here this morning, the good news is you can give your heart and life to Jesus Christ today. You can be set free. Amen? The good news is if the door is open, you just need to realize it and get up and run from sin. Amen? And so what Peter, what Paul agree on is that there is a war waging inside of us. But unfortunately, that's not the only attack that's going to come our way. We will be attacked in this world, not only by our own desires, but notice Peter continues on in verse 12. And he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers. Peter introduces us to something that his audience knew really, really well. And it's that this world is going to attack us for following Jesus. Now, he's writing to a church that has literally experienced persecution to the point that they have had to flee from their home. And what we see and what we know is that right now, all over the world, brothers and sisters in Christ are enduring great persecution. They are in prison for their faith. They're dying for their faith. They're running for their faith. They're experiencing great persecution all over the world. And even here in America, we're beginning to see, get a taste of it and a glimpse of it. We're beginning to realize that following Jesus is no longer politically correct. And we're beginning to see the groundwork laid that if we're going to truly follow Christ and live out our faith, it is going to go against the culture even here in America. The attack is coming. And it should not surprise us and it shouldn't even alarm us. Because first of all, Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. We've been told it's coming and we're going to experience it. And the reason it shouldn't alarm us is because the victory's already been given. Amen? What are they going to take from us? Our life? That's what we're afraid of? So that we can go to heaven sooner? What are they really going to take from us? Amen? And so we have to live in light of these realities. We are strangers in the world and we should, excuse me, we're strangers in the world. We will be attacked in this world. And then thirdly, we should glorify God in this world. Peter explains in verse 12 that the way in which we combat the attacks of this world is by living such godly lives before the nations that they will see our good conduct and will glorify God in return. In other words, Peter says, Live your life sold out for the glory of God. He says the attacks are going to come. And when they speak against you as evildoers, if you've lived your life in such a way, if you've conducted yourself correctly, they will hate you, but they won't find fault with you. That's interesting, amen? They'll hate you. They'll speak against you as evildoers. But they won't find any fault. All they'll know is that they hate you and they don't like you. They don't like what you believe. They don't like your stance. But when they look at your life, they won't find a reason to actually hate you. And what they'll finally realize is they don't hate you. They hate Jesus. And then they get to deal with Jesus. Amen? So Peter says, live your life for the glory of God. In other words... 
If we live our lives to bring glory to God, then what we do is we demonstrate for others the difference that Christ has made in our lives. At the same time, if we live like the rest of the world, then we demonstrate pretty clearly that Christ doesn't make a difference in our lives. And I want you to understand the world is looking to us as professing followers of Jesus, and they're asking the question, does Jesus really make a difference? That's scary, because we know how we live. Amen? Now, none of us are going to be perfect, amen? But we've been given the power. We've been set free from sin. We've been called to follow Jesus and to bring him glory in all that we do. As a matter of fact, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 33. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many they may be saved. Paul says, I'm I'm doing all that I can do to bring glory to God, not because it always benefits me, but because it benefits the kingdom of God. Amen? We have to understand that when people look at us, we will either point them towards Jesus or we will point them away from Jesus. Last night, or yesterday afternoon, Carrie, me and the kids with another family family friend of ours, we we went bowling last night, or yesterday. And so if I was to stand up and give bowling instructions and you had watched me bowl last night, you would have thought to yourself, Why are you trying to tell me how to bowl, right? Game one, I shot a 64, right? A 64. Now, I'll grant it, I was goofing off for part of that game, all right? I did a couple under-the-leg shots. I did a couple left-handed bowls. So the game two, I said, you know what? I'm going to actually try harder to bowl because I really wanted to beat my own wife because I'm tired of losing to her at bowling, And so I focused, I concentrated, I tried to actually bowl a good game. I bowled a 94. Y'all aren't impressed at all? Nothing? 94? I mean, listen, the perfect game's 300, right? I got that close to breaking 100. Yeah, Carrie bowled a 97. So she still beat me. Even my own son beat me yesterday. And so obviously, if I was to go out and say, let me show you how to bowl... I have no clue what I'm doing and all it takes is for you to watch me before you realize why would I take advice on bowling from Will. If you want bowling advice, see Gavin, right? Gavin is the professional bowler from, and, and, and in the entire church, he's got the winning record so far. You have to ask him about it. It's a funny joke. So, so I am not a bowler and it's obvious, but I am a follower of Christ. And I hope that is also obvious. Amen? It's a scary thing to tell people, hey, look at me and do what I do. But that's exactly what Paul did. And that's exactly what the world is already doing, like it or not. Amen? They're looking at what we say we believe, and they're wondering if we're going to live it out in our lives. And so what do we do? We bring glory to God. Notice why. 
verse 12, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What does that mean? Well, that means that they, the nations, they that speak against you as evildoers, they will see your, the church's good works. They'll see you and I living for the glory of God. And on the day that Christ returns in judgment, they will bring glory to God. There's only one way to bring glory to God on the day of judgment, and that is to have professed him as Lord and Savior. Amen? So what Peter says is those that, are, those that are against you, if they see you bringing glory to God in your life, you've got the opportunity to lead them to Christ so that when God does return in judgment, they will be among us bringing glory to God because they've put their faith and trust in Jesus. Listen, this is not our home. Amen? We're strangers here. This world is going to attack us. And so the only thing left for us to do is to live our lives for the glory of God. So let me ask you this morning, are you living in light of your future homecoming? Are are you living your life in such a way that you know this is not your home? Your home is yet to come. Have you embraced the reality that this world is not your home? Are you experiencing the attacks of this world? I know you're experiencing the battles of fleshly desires. Are you waging that war well? If you're breathing, you're experiencing that battle. Amen? Are you waging it well? Are you abstaining and fleeing and running from the desires of the flesh? Are you living godly lives amongst the nations, even when it is clear that the nations no longer want to hear what we believe? And is the focus of your life the glory of God? Let me also ask, knowing that this is not our home, knowing that this is not where eternity will be spent, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? You see, the reality is God loves you. That's why God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. It was to pay for your sins because your sin separates you from the goodness of God. But Jesus died on the cross not only to pay the penalty of sin that you owed, but he also died so that he could overcome death and the grave for us. And that's why he not only died, but he was raised victorious, having defeated death and the grave. And the Bible says that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death, judgment, and eternity separated from God. And so if you're here this morning and you find yourself entangled in sin and you can't get loose, you can't get free, it may be that you've yet to fully trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Again, in just a few moments, as we stand to sing the hymn of invitation, that'll be an opportunity for you to come forward and say, Will, I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior today. It may be that you say, I I can't do that in front of everybody. That's fine. Come see me before you leave, because I would love to tell you how you can follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believers, let me encourage you. Live in light of your homecoming. This is not it. Amen? So let's live our lives for the glory of God, doing all that we can to impact eternity for his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you again.
for who you are and for what you have done on our behalf. You have demonstrated your love for us in that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, if there's anybody here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, then I pray that today will be the day that they put their faith and trust in you, that they follow you, and Lord, that you set them free from their sin. So if there's anyone here today who does not yet know you, Lord, you call out to them. Give them the courage to respond. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for how you're going to do so. Lord, we also come before you as believers. And we confess that there is a battle waging inside that we oftentimes lose. Forgive us for our sins. Lord, help us to live not distracted by the things of this world, but help us to live in light of the fact that this world is not our home. Lord, help us to live for your glory in all that we do. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, for all that you're going to do. We surrender ourselves now to you during this invitation. Let your will be done in this place. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.